This is the Doctor. President-elect of the High Council of Time Lords. I am definitely a madman with a box. Anyone for Jelly, baby? I'm the Doctor. I'm 904 years old. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castabras. Hey, who fans, welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And we're at episode 81. 81. Was that like a Cyberman-y it was, type um, of thing? Yes, it was a somewhere in between a Dalek and a Cyberman, a new creation. A hybrid. A hybrid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um tish We should have to put out some, uh, like, um, go on Periscope or do a video or something sometimes so people can see us dancing like fools to the intro. Because <laughs> we do it every week. We do it every do single time, don't we? Dad dancing, making boxes and hands in the air, waving around. Yeah, we do like a sort of a, we're a rave kind of dance and then we do <laughs> like the point and click and then we do that. Yeah, it's all crazy. A couple of boxes, <laughs> big box, little box. We do it all in the intro, but you, you guys don't get to see it. We'll have to... We'll have to put that out sometime. Maybe on the YouTube channel when we get some videos on there. Yeah, I could do that. The Periscope idea is cool. If you guys are into Periscope, we'll uh, we'll we'll show you that if you want. <laughs> I haven't got my head around Periscope yet. I downloaded it when um, Big Finish were doing all their stuff yeah. on Periscope, Big Finish Day. So I downloaded it. Um, and uh, I think my phone was too full because it wouldn't, it wouldn't actually load the app. So I really struggled with it and just got in a huff and gave up. But, uh, but I hear it's very good. <laughs> it is very good. Yeah. Do you use it a lot? Uh, I don't use it to broadcast anything, but I follow quite a few people on there and watch their periscopes. Mm. Yep. Next time we get Very together good. in the flesh, you'll have to show me because uh, it sounds like the sort of thing I'd like. And it'd be good if we could get on there. Yeah, it'd be good. Yeah, it would be good. If our listeners use Periscope, yeah, let us know. Yeah, let us know. If you guys use it, we'll uh, put our ugly mugs on there. Just for the intro. <laughs> Just for the intro, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some cool news coming up. Mm. Interesting Capaldi stuff. Mm-hmm. And some other merch, merchy bits, merch corner. Yeah. Before we get that though, uh, we we'll get to that. How have you been, buddy? I've been great. You've I've been, been on some travels, great. haven't you? Yeah, I've had an uh, absolutely stonking weekend away in Cardiff, um, which yeah was just amazing. I managed to pack in so much you would not believe, um, and it was just brilliant. Yeah, did the Cardiff Castle. Uh, I got a few of my locations wrong. I was looking for the fireplace in um, Heaven Sense. I was going around this blimmin' house and castle and everything, <laughs> going, where's that fireplace? And, of course, it's Carfilly Castle, totally different location. But, um, yeah, I got to see a few, did get to see a few Dot2 locations in Cardiff, and then I went to the Dot2 Experience on the Saturday, which was really good. I know you've been a few times. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, really geeked out of that. Did the TARDIS set tour, which was great. The only thing was they said they'd give you an hour. Right. Good sort of half an hour at least in the TARDIS. Yeah. But you you walk over there, which takes a good five minutes, and they split you into two groups, and half of you get like a little behind-the-scenes chat, and they sort of take a Dalek apart while the other half look around the set. Okay. Okay, and then they swap you over. and then, But when they swap you over, you then get split into two groups again, so you actually only get ten minutes 
on the actual TARDIS itself. Now, 10 minutes sounds a long time, but believe me, it felt like 30 seconds. I literally walked in, did a bit of filming, and she was like, come on, come on, guys, sorry, we've got to go, we've got to go. And I was like, joking, I've literally, what? So I didn't feel like I could take it in, but let me tell you, what a amazing set i was just my jaw was on the floor i was just it is gorgeous you're right uh, and yeah and i just just go mad trying to film every single square inch of it um <laughs> so that was really really good <clears throat> and then uh, yeah and then on the sunday i did the cardiff comic con and i met colin baker hey. and he was in a really good mood oh he nice was, one he was i mean i've met colin quite a few times um but he was like really jovial <clears throat> and making a lot of jokes and joking around and I've never seen him so so I don't know upbeat really I mean he's always sort of chatty and friendly but he was like sort of almost <laughs> on a high really um but yeah it was great it was really good got into Simon Regeneration set um and then they had like a uh what they call it panel chat at the end of the day Colin was there um Nicola Bryant was there uh Deborah Watling was there and one of the masters and I've completely forgotten his name but yeah it was really good and it all went well and I kept thinking is Colin gonna mention the poll list because we do like to oh, laugh oh no yeah and got right to the end I thought no he's not gonna and then he did someone asked what his favorite episode was or something and it, and it was like a it was like a um, a, a match was lit he suddenly went on a right tirade. Oh. Why do we have to have lists? Why do we have to have bestest? That and he went on one. I was just thinking, oh, I wish Gary was here to see this. He'd love it. <laughs> and I did try and film it, but I got told to stop filming by the uh, showmaster people, which was a shame because I really, really wanted you to see it. But um, yeah, so it was an amazing weekend. Packed loads in. <clears throat> Out of all of that, um, one of the highlights for me was going to Eddie's Diner, where they filmed the oh, well, yeah. the Impossible Astronaut yep. and. Um, Hell, no, not Hellbent. Heaven's yeah, Hellbent. Yeah, oh, Hellbent. Yeah, Hellbent. Yeah, too mixed up. Yeah. yeah. So that was good. I really, really liked it. And they had a really horrible, uh, no, sorry, delicious, but horribly greasy hot dog. It was like really, yeah. it was falling all over. Messy, actually. It was not greasy, it was messy, but really tasty and really nice people, actually, hmm. in there as well. Like I was going around taking a thousand photos and. Yeah, it was just great to think, you know, this Capelda's been in here and they filmed all this in here and table 11 we managed to sit on eventually after glaring at the people long enough they moved and we you sat on them table out. 11 where they filmed uh, yeah. the Matt Smith episode. So, yeah. So, crammed a lot in. It's been a fantastic weekend in Cardiff. I have to say that the people I met um, were just so friendly. <laughs> um, just in general, I kept saying, this is like, like in all the restaurants, all the staff. Do you mean just the Welsh people in general? All the people at the convention. Everywhere. Everywhere I went. All the Welsh people just seem... You know when people are just sort of being nice just to... You know, like if you go in a restaurant in London or whatever, they'll say, hello, and they've got a false grin on. um, Everyone that served us or everyone I chatted to seemed to want to just genuinely chat and be friendly. It was... Yeah. I don't know if I was just lucky, but, you know, there was like people at the convention. There was a woman I kept seeing as I was walking around and she came up and gave me a big hug. She had a big Star Wars t-shirt on. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. People just seem really friendly down there. I loved it. Just very, very relaxed. Yeah, that's why I love going to. Uh, I, I love going to Wales and, and Cardiff in particular. It's a great place, and the people. You're right. You're right. It's not just a, a coincidence when you were there. They are lovely people. It's because it's the yeah. first time I've been as well. You see, so maybe it just took me a bit by surprise because, you know, in London we don't always get <laughs> yeah. very nice uh, stuff. And yeah, it just made a change to to, to be around people that were seem to be genuinely um, jolly. 
and and upbeat and and wanting to chat you know it's great yeah cool and it's um you mentioned ed steiner uh, which is a great place but yeah. i have to agree with you. you you couldn't eat there all the time <clears throat> it's one of those things with like a now and then you know because it's quite calorific like, yeah in fact the the first table because i'm quite a large guy and the first table we sat in i could only just get into it because they're like those what do you call them um you know where the seats and table are static so you have to sort of slide in oh yeah yeah so i could just about get in i was thinking if i have another milkshake and hot dog i, I won't be able to get out of here just be- i'll be here for stuck here <laughs> being the you know the, in the uh, cardiff gazette man gets stuck in diner um but when we moved to table 11 there was a bit more room thank goodness so i, I could breathe and and enjoy the hot dog but oh nice yeah. one yeah it's good and i did sneak out the back they've got like a tardis um door out near the toilets but it's actually like the storeroom so i did sneak out and have a look at that as well oh cool so, so it's all good mate so yeah an absolutely cracking cracking weekend oh uh, well and, uh, great to meet. i know i would have loved you to have been there mate i would have loved it but got to meet up with tom Dix, one of our listeners from epic who oh tom yep. he was really cool got to meet loopy land another one of our listeners what well, i i Lou, I'm a little bit in love with you. I have to say, you might need to get a restraining order because she's so nice and she made me a little little gift, um, her and her partner. So that was really cool. And just everyone in general, just really, really nice. So, yeah, great weekend. Loved it. And that's been me, pretty much. It's just taking over. I'm still like, here we are all these days later and I'm still just buzzing about it. So Conventions are great, aren't they? Oh, I love Just it. hanging out and geeking out with people, you know. It's one of the best things about you know, doing what we do, I suppose. And not not necessarily if you run a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything like that, just going to conventions and meeting up with people and geeking out. It's um, it's really cool. It I is, yeah. And also, I I actually also spent most of the kind of Comic-Con with um, another listener and YouTuber, Dean Jones, who's a, a thoroughly nice guy. And he, he filmed Colin signing the Regeneration set for me. So it's good to meet you too, Dean. And I keep thinking I'm bound to forget someone because I met so many people that sort of listen to the show and we, we've sort of got to know. So I hope I haven't forgotten anyone. But yeah, it was great. And I must just say, Deborah Watling, who <laughs> played Victoria, such a nice lady. She's, I had such a nice little chat with her. Um, in fact, she, she was talking, I mean, I was loving it. She was talking forever, but I was aware that there was a guy behind me thinking, come on, mate, hurry up. And I wanted to say, well, it's not actually me chatting, but she was so lovely, mate, Victoria Watling. And she told me that she's heard a rumor that they found evil of the Daleks. And I was like, Deborah, are you sure? Because these rumours go flying around. She's like, well, it is just a rumour. And so we kind of said, okay, well, we won't get excited then. But yeah, that would be amazing if that was true. Yeah, that could be big, big news. I know. So yeah, but just guys, before we get excited, she did clarify just a rumour that's floating around, but she'd heard heard they'd found it. I can imagine people flying up off of their seats right now to their computer like, they found it, they found found it. it. Well, it's the don't blame the messenger Go and speak to Deborah at the next convention because she's a <laughs> lovely lady and uh, she was also saying how she because I said I enjoyed downtime yes you know that, that, yep. and I said I really enjoyed that and she said oh I haven't seen it yet they haven't sent me a copy I was like oh <laughs> so that's a bit awkward yeah show business eh show busy but yeah <laughs> anyway that enough about my weekend it was brilliant fantastic what have you been up to well I, well, <laughs> I can't really say anything to, to top that, mate. I've done very, I've done very little. My my last week pales in comparison to your um to your mammoth geek weekend. Um, I, I've honestly haven't done that much really. The only thing I've done is a bit of shopping. 
Oh yeah. I went on a bit of a uh, a bit of a classic DVD ordering spree. Uh, so I've got like seven or eight of those turn up yesterday. I've got another couple arriving on Saturday. Uh, so the shelf is looking pretty healthy downstairs with all the classic DVDs and stuff. I think I've got about, I think I've got about eighty-five of them, ninety now. So I'm nearly up to a hundred of them. Wow. So I think I'm just under half of the collection that's out there you can buy. Something like that, anyway. It's amazing how quickly they suddenly start racking up on the shelf, isn't it? I think I'm going to have to get a bigger. A bigger <laughs> bookshelf or cabinet to put them in. Because yeah. I'm starting to pull like other films off that I haven't seen in years. I'm like, charity shop, charity shop. <laughs> you know, just you know, tra- yeah. trying to make room. But I'm I'm still got this huge quandary, mate. And perhaps you can help or some of the um some of our listeners can help who have got a the classic DVD collection as well. I'm still in I'm still torn whether to keep the individual DVDs inside the box sets, the ones that come in the box sets. Mm-hmm. Because my O C D is battling with my other O C D. And that is, I want to keep the box sets together because they are a box set. So, like, that half of me, yes. that half of my OCD is like, you need to keep them as box sets because you bought them as box sets and they come with, like, the nice container, stuff like that. Mm. The other half of my OCD says, yes, but that's fine, but if you do that, then they're out of chronological order. I know. Yeah. So I'm really battling with myself, and I know that if I take the box set, if I take them out and discard the box sets, I'll regret it. But it's still oh, don't, like don't discard me. them. Yeah, don't discard them, mate. I I know exactly what you mean because <laughs> well, you know OCD. I am about stuff, and yeah, it drives me mad because you get a box set with, um, say, for example, a William Hartnell and a Fifth Doctor story in one box set, and you're yes. thinking, well, I want to put the stories where they should be. Yeah, and also it's funny. It's bad when you go to like when we go to review one, and I can't find an episode. I think, well, where is it? I'm going through thinking, well, because I've got them all in order, obviously. <laughs> and you're going through thinking, well, there's the fifth doctor. Where's that story? And then you realize it's in like the Earth box set or something. And you're like, yeah. So it's, it's paired up with a first doctor one. And, you know, um, I, the only thing I can say is if you've got room, I would put them, take them out of the box, yeah. put them all in order, but then line your boxes up on top. <laughs> so you've right. got a nice display at the top with the boxes, you know, all sp- all spine on so you can see the nice spines but then you've got all your dvds in order it is interesting and it is annoying at the same time because i don't want to overthink it mm. i don't want to sit there and just because when in my uh, living room i've got like the the bookshelf or cabinet whatever where they all are is always in view so mm. even when i'm just sitting there watching normal crappy tv in the evening i glance over and i think mm. Should I? Shouldn't I? It's like constantly on my mind when I look at it. So, But I don't want to overthink it. I just want to put them on there, enjoy them and stuff like that. So if anyone's got any views on that stuff, what you should do or shouldn't do, please let me know. Let's know. I wish they did them in complete series sets, actually. I know, obviously, we've got stories that are missing. But it would take up so much less space yeah. if they did like the complete yeah. McCoy years and the complete Colin Baker era. And well, the Tom Baker would be a hell of a box set, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, they, yeah, they've started to do um, these introductory box sets. I don't know if you've seen them. I saw them in yeah. HMV the other day. It's like an introduction to the Fifth Doctor or mm. an, introdu- an introduction to Peter Davison or something like that. And it's a little box set with three or four um, individual stories. So that's another yeah. box set. So if you were to buy that, that's not too bad. But the stories aren't like in order. They're no. just randomly picked, you know, stories from that era. So, yeah, maybe one day they'll do like a gigantic collector's edition that comes in like a 
a half scale TARDIS or something. Oh wow! Like every single, every single DVD and Blu-ray ever released with the mm. soundtracks. You know, like a massive media. But it'd probably be like, you know, like eight grand or something. But I was just going to say, yeah. Can you imagine the cost of it? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nuts. It'd be nuts, but we'd have to get it. <laughs> of course, yeah. Even yeah. if we have to pay for it, like in instalments or something, it just yeah. Well, I'm thinking with this this year year off that we've got from Dot Two as well. I wouldn't be surprised. Although, no, actually, probably not. And the reason I say that is because of something we've got coming up in the news. So I'll say no more. But yeah, I was thinking this year they might do some box sets. I had a feeling they might do a new series one to nine box set or something like that. But maybe not considering maybe recent not. events. But I shall yeah. say no more until we move into the news. Yes. Um, so that's me, mate. I haven't really done much. The, the DVDs I did pick up was um, two box sets, the Revisitations 3. Which ones in which stories are in that? Uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, brilliant. The Three Doctors and um, uh, the Robots of Death. Wow, that's a great so, set. Great yeah. box set, that one. Very um, good, yeah. The Black Guardian trilogy, Peter Black Davison. Go- oh, yeah, right, okay. So um, I, I've, I've seen a few of these already online, but um, <laughs> from what I thought, the, the Black Guardian one was, I'm not sure if we're going to review any of those well we probably will do in the future i but, do want to yeah um but yeah i was yeah got some I'm interesting sorry, thoughts on that yeah i was gonna say i'm sorry i laughed then because um my brain i was just suddenly picturing you in cosplay as um i've forgotten the character's name from from um <laughs> i think <laughs> from I the black guardian yeah. trilogy of that okay. bird on his head the, well he is the black guardian yeah um but now i was thinking of actually the other guy who's got like this sort of spaghetti thing on his head um, oh, as well yeah. some great cosplay <laughs> in that in that trilogy um yeah. but yeah now i'd like to review those at some point as well because um yeah they're they're an interesting set of three stories aren't they yeah mm. and then individually the twin dilemma all oh, right yeah uh, the aztecs and um, potentially one of the best classic who's ever, Frontios. Frontios. I'm joking. No, it's, oh. yeah. So I got individual. I got a couple more coming Saturday. I think I've got. <laughs> I think I've got a couple McCoy and another partner one. I think. Yeah, we'll have to review Frontios then. Sounds <laughs> like you've got some views on it. <laughs> yes, we well. I imagine however long this podcast lasts. Yeah, I'm doing a, an impression of a. Um, what are they called those things <laughs> with the small hands that are in it <laughs> the small hand creatures yeah 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 it's an impression of those um, <laughs> another yes. thing to say for periscope yeah however long this podcast lasts we may end up reviewing every classic story at some point but yeah yeah we will we will do um the black guardian stuff for sure cool I, i'm sorry i'm doing terrible I mean, we're always bad with names but particularly bad this morning i think their names not gear because I can't think of the name of those things in Frontiers or simply because I've got the word Terraleptil stuck in my head and nothing else will enter it for some reason. The plague. The plague. <laughs> oh, I miss that guy. I might have to watch that again at some point. I miss that guy. Plague. Plague. Everything's about the plague. <laughs> yeah, we've um, been for a while. Yeah, Frontiers, though, that might be an interesting... Well, I definitely want to do it, actually, because it's got an interesting um, story, should we say. Yeah. It is, it is an interesting one. It's one of the. It's a two-parter, isn't it? Was it three? It's quite uh, a short one, isn't it? Uh, it's a four-part. Is it? Yeah. All oh, right. See, I haven't watched it for ages either. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get onto that one at some point. Yeah. So that's me, mate. Excellent. Well, at least you got some good purchases there. Some good stuff. Twin yeah. Dilemma as well. That is another one <laughs> I am dying to review. We have got it on the schedule, haven't we? Uh, Can't yes. remember when. 
We Can't have got it. Ben, but it's on there, yeah. Um, I think it's next month at some point. Yeah. I yeah. Can't, yeah, I know it's definitely on there because that's what I've been wanting to do for a while. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's our adventures in Doctor Who for the past week. Mm. Shall we land it and do the news, buddy? Yeah, let's get into the news. <laughs> Sad news to kick off to kick off with. Mm. No one's dead. It's all good. Um, however, the online BBC shop is soon to be deceased, and it's just really sad that they they decided to close down. So the reason behind it is um, they just can't afford to do it anymore. In a nutshell, and mm. um, what they're saying is. Um, because one of the questions on the FAQ page is, what about DVDs and Blu-rays and all the Doctor Who or branded merchandise and that sort of thing? And they're saying that the DVD market has been in decline for a number of years uh, as consumers move to digital viewing. Uh, the market no longer supports the commercial release of many of the titles are able to make available. Um, so, yeah, what they're saying is they're just not selling you know, hardly any DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that because people are supposedly mm. moving over to uh, streaming and digital purchases and stuff like that. So it is a little bit of a um, a little bit of a push to get people over to the new BBC store, which is like their their online digital equivalent, if you like, for it, all of their films and DVDs and whatnot. Yeah. So there's that, which is okay, but you you will totally agree with me on this one. You. For me, I still like to have the actual DVD, not for everything, but for Doctor Who DVDs and stuff like yeah. that. I really like having the physical disc because the artwork is really good on a lot of DVDs. Um, you also get all the special features, which you don't get from the BBC store. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So when you purchase something through those guys, even though the price is quite reasonable, mm. or some of them anyway, it's like a pound or two cheaper you don't get all those nice special features. You don't get like a second disc, quote unquote, with mm. all that stuff. So uh, it's a bit gutting. And But like I said earlier, it does make perfect sense from a logistical financial point of view because um, one thing to um, actually to make, make this perfectly clear, they're not stopping the production of any DVDs or Blu-rays, anything like that. All they're doing is they're just saying, well, you won't be able to purchase it from us, but you will be able to purchase it from like the normal online retailers like Amazon and Zavi and mm -hmm. the Hut Group and all those sorts of people. Um, so that's okay. They're not, they're not saying that, especially the classic DVDs, they're not going to go out of print. They're not, as it were, they're not, just, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to stop the production of those things. I, I, I imagine it will slow down a little bit. But Have not, they actually yeah. said that though? Because I know there was a discussion on that merch page about that because that's one thing i was worried about they were saying you know that the some of the earlier titles um it's very unlikely that they'll they'll bother to re you know reprint them um so they're probably still floating around out there but they are saying there are some titles that might become hard to get but i would assume they will the majority of them they'll they'll keep like you said keep issuing because yeah they'll sell them through other outlets won't they i would assume yeah so um, one of the other questions there, Will, uh, will BBC Worldwide continue to publish DVDs and Blu-rays? Mm. 
Uh, and they said, yes, we will continue to make um, popular programs available on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm. So Doctor Who does fall into that popular program category. Uh, they just said the cost of releasing programs can be significant and we have to carefully balance decisions about which programs uh, to release against factors such as the number of people who are interested in owning them. So this is pretty good news for Doctor Who fans because um, the people are always buying DVDs and Blu-rays of Doctor Who. So that's not a bad thing. You know, and I've had conversations with various people over Twitter over the last few days about, you know, buying this classic DVD and let's see your collection. Um, yeah. Matt Rowney from Who Addicts, um, I was talking to him. He's got a decent start to his collection and now he's like saying like, oh, I'm, you know, I can't go in HMV without buying a stack of classic DVDs and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So I think the demand is very much there still. And I don't think that's going to go anyway away anytime soon. So I don't think anyone should worry too much. There might be the odd title that might be a bit more tricky to find yeah. in, in the near future. But overall, I think it's okay. We can still buy them from Amazon and all those people. It's yeah. just the BBC store themselves, they've decided to close shop. And like I said, it makes sense because now they don't have to worry about shipping costs, warehousing costs, you know, sorting out returns and all that jazz. They can just yeah. handle all of that stuff. They can hand it all over to the other retailers. All they have to do is just supply the stuff. Yeah, I so. totally get it. I mean, I, I, I'm like you. I'll always go for a physical format over a, over a download. And it's the same with Big Finish because I've got the feeling mm. over the last couple of years that Big Finish are very much trying to push people towards the download rather than physical format. Um, you know, they've reduced their booklets to like... A really flimsy two pages where they used to be nice and have little details in, and yeah, yeah, you know. And I'm sorry, but I will always, while there is a physical format, I will always go for it, even if it's a you know, a couple of pounds more expensive or whatever, because I like to have something like you said, the artwork and stuff. Um, so it is a shame. Um, I totally get the reasoning for it. I, I was taken by surprise by this. The only thing is, when they did that 25% off last week and the week before yes that did ring alarm bells with me because that, that i was thinking god they are practically giving stuff away i thought maybe they're having a good old clear out but that <laughs> i did actually think at the time you know this is to do it one week fair enough but they did it two weeks running yeah and i thought they are trying to shift some stock and that did make me think you know oh are they in trouble so i was surprised still but but yeah yeah what made me think that there was um something going on is when they reduced the tenant years DVD box set massively because yeah. they must have just had loads of them yeah. lying around and they slashed it from what a hundred quid down to was it thirty quid or 40? 25. 25. 25 pounds. So when I saw that, I was like, that's not an ordinary. No. Let's just knock a few quid off. That's a massive cut there. So mm. but yeah, so BBC Shop um will soon be no more. You have up until uh the 29th of March to still order stuff. So mm. And they have got some good deals on there. If you go onto the homepage, it says like 85, up to 85% off shop now. And it's got its own Doctor Who category. And they've got loads of stuff on there for a few quid. I'm actually really, really gutted that I didn't see this page earlier because mm. on Twitter yesterday, there was, a on, there was an online company called Rhubarb, which I'd never heard before. And they put this, this pic on there of this really cool Doctor Who mug. It's, like, it's a new one from the BBC. It's like a black, uh, black matte finish with the mm. classic logo going around the mug and it's like wow that looks awesome so i immediately jumped on there and bought it It was like 15 uh, like 13 quid um and then i went on to this um i went on to the bbc shop page 
uh, late last night, and it was on there for like three pound twenty. Oh no! And I, I, and I thought there's nothing I can do. It's already been shipped because they oh. and they must have been onto it as well because they shipped it within like I got an email to say your payment's gone through, and then literally twenty yeah. minutes later, like we've shipped it. And uh, I was like, ah, brilliant. Yeah, they, yeah, I know that is that is so frustrating when yeah. that happens. I know that the, a lot of the stuff on the BBC shop is selling out really quick, though, Gary. I mean, it is literally like they they yeah. were selling yeah. some of the classic DVDs, Doctor Two DVDs, for like three pounds seventy or something. You know, really, really low prices. And from what I hear, I haven't been on there today, but from what I hear, they've got hardly any classic Doctor Who's left um, yeah. on the yeah. on the store. Because I mean, that's not to say they won't get more in, because they're probably gonna be adding stuff and discount stuff all the time up until they close. But they're selling out of a lot of stuff really quick because it is being sold for really, really cheap prices. So, yeah, listeners, get on there and have a look. They've got some bargains yeah. at the minute. Yeah. 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 Okay, in other news, um, Peter Capaldi. We've been talking about whether he's you know, might stay on when Chibnall takes over, and he's finally been discussing it actually because i haven't seen him because i haven't been at home much this week but apparently he's been on the tv quite a bit um yes. promoting series nine being released on on blu-ray and dvd yeah so he's been on quite a few television shows and radios and things like that and obviously they've all asked him that question because <laughs> everybody wants to know um and the, the good thing is he's actually said he has been asked to stay on so he sort of almost confirmed that, hasn't he? He has been asked to stay on when Chris Chibnall takes over, yep. but he hasn't decided yet, basically, because he says, quite rightly, it's so far in the future that he, he doesn't want to make that decision until he has to. So you can kind of understand that. So I guess he's going to see how Series 10 goes and then go from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to um, do a David Tennant or not, because... Um, on the special features for the Series 4 specials, um, there's an interview with David Tennant and exactly the same thing happened to him when he knew that Russell T. Davis and Julie Gardner and so on were going. Um, Stephen Moffat, I'm not sure if it's Stephen Moffat or somebody else at BBC, said to him, we'd like you to stay on. Yeah, And he was really umming and ahhing for so long about it. And he was mm. like, oh, I don't know, it'd be great to work with Stephen Moffat. He's such a good writer and so on. Um, but he ultimately made the decision that, you know, new showrunner, you know, some other new people starting, it's time to like, you know, have a completely clean, you know, break and stuff. First so start, yeah. I'm wondering if Capaldi is going to be thinking along these same lines, whether it's like, oh, you know, my thing has been you know, the whole Moffat thing and, um, you know, but... I'm not sure. I th uh, a part of me thinks that he will stay on. Because, you yeah, because he's wanted to do this role for so long. Mm. And he doesn't say, I mean, if you read some of the things, because he does say that he hasn't made his mind up. He's very much in the air about it. Yeah. Um, he says that Chris Chidnall's fantastic and he's a wonderful choice. Um, but the important thing is, and he does mention it as well, that it's quite far away in the future. We have to remember that he has to do um, a Christmas special and Series 10 before Chibnall takes over and they go yeah. into series 11. So it is quite far away. Um, and uh, and he does say that Doctor Who is a very difficult thing to say goodbye to. Mm. So he doesn't want to rush into the decision. Um, but yeah. He, he clearly loves being the Doctor as well, doesn't he? I mean, he says it and you know it as well. He just loves being the Doctor. So you can imagine him being in quite a big turmoil of, of giving that role up. Like you said, it's something he's always watched 
to play. So yeah, I guess he, if he feels the time is right, he'll go. But I think yeah, I think he would like to stay around for as you know for quite some time. From what he's saying, um, yeah. talking to Capelda, he he did that signing in H and V on Monday. Yes. And I don't know if you yeah. saw the pictures I did. of everybody because yep. uh, he made sure that this is what I love about Capaldi. Like you know we were saying about events that we'd been to where you know you just shove through like cattle and you can't get a picture we haven't got time for that capaldi stayed right to the end much later than he should have apparently to make sure that every single person got that that had a wristband got um a signed dvd or whatever and got a photo so everybody i know on twitter there's pictures of him with all the fans which i just think is just incredible for him to to do that to make sure yeah um, he's just—he's just so brilliant with the fans. He stopped and, um, to take selfies out the front as well, didn't he? When he was on his way in, did he? Yeah, there's quite a few pictures on Twitter of people outside where they got like these railings and stuff. And oh, as right. he, as he got dropped off and he's walking in with like a couple of security people, he just stopped, like took people's phones, selfies. It was all good. I, I love it. I yep. just love it. I think because he's a fan himself, he's just so good with the fans. So, yeah. And I think he—he he might be because we would like him to stick around to see what he's like under a different writer with you know different showrunner yeah. and i wonder if he feels a little bit the same i know he really likes Stephen moffat he's always praising him and but i wonder if part of him thinks mm, it might be interesting to see what it's like you know stay on for another year so i hope so i'd like to see him stay another year i still at least i'm i'm still i'm still, still into my idea of having having him on in series 11 but just for a few episodes a bit mm, yeah that really intrigues me that idea of of like that transition mid-series. Yeah, you would know. be interesting. Yeah. yeah. He did also briefly mention in one of the interviews about the new companion as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. And obviously he's been, because this, this is probably will be announced soon because they start filming soon, don't they? Yes. So I assume they're going to announce a new companion fairly soon. Um, basically, he says it's going to be a whole new dynamic, as you'd expect. It's going to be very different um and uh yeah it's going to be a totally different character so he's he's used the word different about three times in his in his sentence because i'm quoting from the what he actually said to steve wright on the radio so can we expect chameleon back or a robot or what's di- what could different mean adric goes back in time and saves adric um mm, probably who not could it be no i think it's going to be i wouldn't mind seeing another sort of um boy girl Bit like sort of Amy and Rory, perhaps, or um, or even better, uh, Ian and Barbara. I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing his doctor travelling around with that a boy girl companion. Yeah, that could be good. Mm. Yep, or it could be um, could be a, a later version of K nine. K nine. Hang on, they are doing that movie, aren't they? Perhaps they are. it's all been planned. This is all linked. Yep. Not that terrible new version, though. We want the classic. The I don't classic. want that new thing that looks like a. Terminator. Cross with a dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want that thing. Yeah. Want the new, the, the classic canine. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But, um, hmm. uh, lastly, just to mention on this story, um, he's also confirmed that, um, uh, oh, well, not confirmed actually, um, but he might make an appearance in the new spin off class. All oh, right. Yeah. Because that's going to start filming next month. Ah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is recording. This is according to the Radio Times. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it probably needs him yes. to bring people in for that first episode or something, just to, you know, yeah, I think it would be good if he's in it. Yeah. Um, Ian Chesterton would be very good. I'd love to see Ian Chesterton back. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'd be awesome. It would. The possibilities are endless. We can but dream. Such is yeah. why Doctor Who is so great. 
yeah, so Capaldi might see him back after Series 10. Might not. Just depends on how he's feeling, I guess. But so it is good that, that they've asked him, though. It is good they've asked him. I was just yep. thinking, how does that work, though? So they're filming this year for the series that's going out next year. Yeah. So then do they film... So while that series is going out next year, are they then filming for the following year? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I guess so. And yeah. we, we don't know. The Christmas special, is that is, is that on the cards for this year? That is, isn't it? That has been confirmed. It was confirmed, but there is, again, confusion about it, isn't there? Yeah. I think, hasn't there been a bit of a falling out? A falling between out. Producers? I don't know. I think something's gone a bit awry, but I don't know what. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, it's still on the cards, yeah. Right. So, based on that, then, after Series 10 goes out next year, we could be in the same format where they do another Christmas special next year, and then Series yeah. 11 kicks off in in 2018. That's it. That's what I think we're going to get. Yeah. 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 Fun, so, fun times, interesting times ahead. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's going to wrap for news. Okay. Uh, let's get those pesky Daleks in and see what merch we got this week. Oh, yeah. Merch corner. Merch corner. Merch corner. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. So we've got a book on the way uh, from a previous mm. companion. Yeah. Uh, so Yiji So, who was the, um, can we call him a companion? I guess we yes. can. Yes, I'm calling him, I think so. Yes, yeah, so previous companion, Yiji So, uh, who was companion to uh, the Eighth Doctor, Mr. McGann. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks to bring, uh, bring out a very cool book, actually, uh, entitled uh, Time and Spaces, a photo journal of Doctor Who filming. I'm really buzzing about this. It That's why I did that little hey when you announced it. I when I heard about this, I was just like, yes, because I love locations. I don't know if I mentioned it, um, and did, this just you? sounds brilliant. And I just I love the look of it. I love the sound of it. I'm really looking forward to this coming out. Yeah. Yes. So um, Yiji So took a load of photos while he was um, uh, uh, acting in this. So behind the scenes, he took his own stuff. Um, and um, there's also uh, loads of photos that they've dug out of the archives as well. So mm. what they're going to do is, um, it's 20 years later, is it? Oh, don't. That makes me feel really old. Ugh. So 20 years after they filmed this one, they're going to go back and they're going to do some behind the scenes stuff, uh, take you to all the locations. They're going to use his own photos. They're going to use official photos from the archive. Um and uh, yeah, so it's just going to be. Um, so apparently, this is described as a love letter to the Doctor Who TV movie. Um, mm. It's presented in full colour. It's one of those nice square-shaped deluxe paperback um, uh, featuring loads of photographs that you've not seen before. Um, and I know you will get this. I will, yeah. And I'm going to get this as well. It looks really, really good because we're we're fans of the TV movie. I love it. We, we yeah, love we that, don't so. get much stuff to do with it either, do we? So this really appeals to me. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's some cool buzz about the TV movie. The, uh, this month's Doctor Who magazine uh, oh, yeah. has got a massive article um, about the, the TV movie. In fact, most of the magazine is about it, uh, which is great. And now we've got this book coming up from Yiji So. Uh, that's all about the TV movie as well. So it's really good times for uh, to getting into all that stuff and the behind the scenes and whatnot. Um, yes, it's 
good pre-order price at the moment. It's fourteen ninety nine, which is a good price for one of these nice big square paperback books. Mm. I think it's like a similar uh, a similar size and stuff. Do you know that? book that was out recently the the worlds of doctor who oh that one yeah it's that kind of size i think um so they're really nice and it's going to be like full color glossy so yeah looks good i I believe or i think all the pre-orders come signed as well um i think if you get in before the when is it before the uh a certain date you can get one signed and i've ordered a few things from milk and uh, they normally put in all these little treats when when you open the book, sort of a few little bits normally fall out, like stickers and um, but they're, but they're good. They're not like just random advertising. Like for example, the Andrew Cartmel book had a little Happiness Patrol sticker and a copy of a BBC letter, and they normally put in little extra bits. So yeah, because I'm torn because I'd like to get it from them, but he's also appearing at the Capital event, which we're hoping to go to, and he'll be signing it there. Yes. and I don't know which yep. to, I don't know which to do, but. Either way, I'll be getting it. Yes, looks very good. Does look good. Okay, um, there is another book coming out. In fact, it's already out. It's just, it's just come out. out. Yep. Yeah, and I, um, it's called Saturday Night Monsters, and it's a 100% totally unofficial Doctor Who fanology, it's called. Fanthology. Um, fanthology, yeah. Yes. Fanthology. Yep. Um, basically, yeah, it's a collection of fan writings about Doctor Who, taken from uh, popular blogs, fan fanzines, This Way Up and Phase, and it explores the world of TV series Doctor Who uh, by the fans. Um, yeah, and it goes through all sorts, actually, talking about uh, the Phillips Hinch- Hinchcliffe era, uh, the Wiped episodes, um, all, all sorts of things. And it's, it's got a really cool cut retro cover. Looks like one of those um, old sort of classic... Old B-movie. B-movie, horror, yeah. Yeah, really like actually, because it doesn't look Doctor Who at all. When I very first saw this, it's, you wouldn't look at it and think Doctor Who. It looks like a real cool old B-movie sci-fi film. Hmm. Uh, so I love the cover. And yeah, it sounds really good. It's just basically fans talking about uh, different eras of the show and that sort of thing. Yeah, it looks good. The reason why we um, stuck this one on here, because it's just an interesting... Uh, I think it'll be an interesting read, a, read, a different point of view, because... Mm. Um, We've mentioned a few books and they're all from like official authors or um, uh, people involved in the show. But this is just, like you say, written from a fan's point of view. And and it does go through a lot. Like you said, the Robert Holmes stuff. Um, it goes, it's got reviews on some of the classic stuff. So it'd be good to compare what fans think compared to how we reviewed stories as well. So that'd be an interesting read. Yeah, and it goes um, right up to the new era as well, doesn't it? So it goes right yeah. up to sort of human nature, Amy's choice, all that stuff. Yeah. It's good. And it's quite cheap as well. It's... Um, eight quid from amazon um so yeah so we'll stick a link to that one as well looks good yeah it's good worth it for the cover alone i love that cover i'd like a poster of that looks really good yeah (laughs) and last up for merch um uh this is a big finish uh piece of news this one made me jump up and do like what they called star jumps everything yeah (laughs) um so you you know that i love vinyl Yes, you do. I love I love some vinyl, and uh, Doctor. Uh, I was going to say Doctor Who have announced <laughs> Big Finish have announced that two classic stories are going to be re-released in the vinyl format, uh, yeah. and they are the Chimes of Midnight and Spare Parts, two absolute gems. Yes, uh, so these are two of my favourite Big Finish stories, and they happen mm. to also be the two Big Finish stories that I the f- the first ones that I picked up. Ever. Oh, are they? All oh, right. So okay. these are like my introduction into Big Finish, these two stories. And I absolutely love them. And they're always reviewed quite highly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very popular. And 
Um, there's, uh, there's new cover artwork as well. We haven't seen it yet for spare parts, but uh, The Chimes of Midnight has got a new cover. And I think it will look beautiful in that large vinyl size, it's like the LP really size. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, the cover artist is Tom Webster. Um, uh, he's a really funky uh, guy, actually. He's appeared on a couple of um, uh, YouTube uh, videos to do with Doctor Who and stuff. But the covers that he does for Big Finish are just amazing. And this mm. one looks really good. So um, they are a little bit pricey. Yeah. They are a wee bit pricey. I think they're $79.99 a piece. Um, So they're a little bit on the pricey side, but they are a limited run. I think it's $500 a piece. Yeah. So it's a limited run, and these will... I'm I'm pretty confident these will go because, yeah, they they just look so awesome. And it must be so great as well to listen to Big Finish on vinyl. Just Mm. such a good experience. I'm really, really torn because I, I, I love the look of these. Yeah. And like you, I love my vinyl. The cover artwork's brilliant. The stories are brilliant. I think, I mean, Spare Parts is always um, highly talked about, but Chimes of Midnight is, is probably one of the best. Yeah. Uh, it's a brilliant story. The, the price does slightly put me off. I think 80 quid for, I assume it's two, two vinyls you get in there. Is it two it, records? It is two, yeah. yeah. I think that's a bit steep. I'm going to just be honest. I think Big Finish are being a bit steep there. I know it's limited at mm-hmm. 500 copies. Um, and I the reason I say that is because I, like you, I did a somersault and fell on my <laughs> belly because I'm not very good at them. When I read this, noise, read this news, I was like, wow, brilliant, getting that. And then I saw <laughs> the price and my face just dropped. I, I think that they're a bit expensive, but I would love to, I would love to get them. But I don't think I can fork out eighty quid on a on an LP. I don't know. As much as I I just oh, as much as I'd love to, I, I think if they'd have gone even fifty, I might have. But eighty quid? Are you, I mean, are you going to get them? Um, I, well, I'm definitely getting the Chimes of Midnight. You are okay. I'm absolutely getting that one. I'm still. I'm exactly the same. It was the price. It is a little bit. If they were fifty quid, yeah, I probably would have just pre-ordered both of them if they were 50 quid each, mm. like as a maximum. So I think because of the price, I'm probably just going to pre-order one of them. And between the two, it has to be the time, the chimes of midnight. Yeah, I would agree. Although yeah. when we see the artwork for spare parts, you might be swayed, but I would be the same at the minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, know, you know what it is I don't like about it? Because there are some things where you think, okay, like rubber toe, their products are expensive but a lot of work goes into them. And to an extent, they kind of justify the price. Now, these are going to be gorgeous and they're going to be something you want to own and they are going to be really, really nice. But do they cost, does the cost price mount up to 80 quid? I don't think it does. So to me, it feels a little bit like Big Finish are, I'm not going to say ripping the fans off, but it feels a little bit like, you know, a lot of Doctor Who stuff at the minute is becoming very expensive. Yeah. And I just don't like this feeling of taking the mickey out of us fans thinking, well, it's only limited to 500. If you want it, you're going to have to pay it. And that's what kind of niggles me a little bit. Because yeah. if I thought, well, yeah, you know, they've got to cover their costs and blah, 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 80 quid, fine. But, and I'm willing to be corrected on this. I look at it and think, lovely product, very limited, would like to have it, 80 quid. Mm. So I don't know. I'm I'm very torn with this one. <laughs> do you know what, mate? I completely agree, and I I feel the same. I really do feel the same. But for some reason, this 
the just the thought of having the Charms of Midnight as a nice big vinyl mm-hmm. thing as just um, yeah as, as just knocked the common sense out of me basically and I've and I've I've bitten to their you know to their bait that they've dangled in front of me yeah and I don't usually do that I'm I'm usually fairly good with that stuff if it's like you know I can see that it's overpriced on some things and you know mm-hmm. I'm just not going to part with the money but for this I I don't know what it is about it it's just something that I've like yeah it's overpriced I think we can agree. But for this particular piece, I just don't care. I'm just happy to have it. So, yeah. um, and uh, there's actually another piece of um, of Doctor Who news concerning vinyl, which is very, very good. Oh yes, which might replace this purchase. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, so record store day. Ah. Do you know about this? I do. Yeah, I've been to, been to a few. Yeah, yeah. So record store day. So people who don't know. Um, uh, because vinyl was made a, a progressive comeback over the years in an attempt for record shops to kind of really get people back into the format and and all that stuff. Um, in April every year, they hold this global thing called Record Store Day. I think, they, I think it's the same date in the US as well, mm. where essentially every participating record shop anyway just does this crazy, like massive, like just crazy deal on loads of vinyl and there's like special editions all over the place and all that stuff this year um there's going to be a reprint of genesis of the daleks the audio story yeah um on vinyl in a special edition yellow vinyl record hang on wait yeah is it because there's genesis daleks and the dalek movies and the dalek movies is yellow vinyl as well yeah that's Yeah. yeah so this is the same thing it's going to be on the yellow the cool yellow vinyl Um, now this one might be a bit of more of a sensible purchase um, because it's only 20 quid yeah see I would get that I would if I if I could get my hands on one because this is the only problem that they are very limited and normally when you get to the record stores they queued around the block because it's a one day and it's a big thing everybody know everybody who's into vinyl knows about it so it's very often hard to actually get these unless you're there queuing from like early in the morning but i tell you what that's more like it in terms of pricing if i could get my hands on one it'd be in the bag yeah if i could get one that would cancel out my big finish ones because the price is a lot more reasonable i think it's just over 20 quid i think it's like 23 24 yeah, quid that's or more something. like it yeah. um so i don't know if i can get to a record shop and manage to find one i'll absolutely get it hmm. because uh it's the audio it's like the the, the audio story um, and I think it's got like some narration from Tom Baker as well. Um, yeah, Tom Baker. Yes. Does, yeah, so it's going to be so good. Um, and you'll have to excuse me, I've got my facts wrong there. This, The genesis of the Daleks one doesn't have the yellow records. Um, that's the that, that's the Peter Cushing The movies. movies. Yeah. 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 Uh, but this one, just standard vinyl. But, oh, oh just vinyl's just so good. <laughs> I yeah. love vinyl. It's such a good format. So, um, yeah, let's not, we can talk about this all day, but, um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's check out where our nearest record store is and let's get down there. Cause I would, oh, I'd love us to get hold of those. Yeah. When is, you, you probably know this more now. When is record store day? It's like some weekend, every weekend, a certain I actually, one. I don't know. Actually. I think I, it's the I third, I think it's the third weekend or the third Saturday every April. Right. I okay. think it's that yeah. one, the third one. So next month we'll, we'll, we'll find one and get down there. Get down there. Yeah. 
So before we before we just ruin the podcast with talking about vinyl, uh, let's wrap up merch and let's get into our review. Adam, oh yes, my good mates, what are we going to what are we going to do this week? Gary, start the clock. We're reviewing Mummy on the Orient Express. There were many trains to take the name Orient Express, but only one in space. Good morning, everyone. Your goal is to ascertain the foretold's true nature. I know exactly what this sounds like. Isn't this exciting? It's immortal, unstoppable, unkillable. Can we get a new expert? Those that bear the foretold stare have 66 seconds to live. Stop the clock. Start the clock. Start the clock. Yeah. So you've wanted to do this one for a while, mate. Yes, I have, because... um. Yeah, it was during the transition period of me joining the podcast when we were doing Series 8 reviews. And this kind of got missed out. Uh, well, it's one of a couple that we didn't do. And in fact, you haven't reviewed it either. So, yes, I have wanted to do it. Um, and also in my mind, it's stuck in my head as being one of the episodes that I really, really liked. Um, you fell in love with this one, didn't you? I really did like it. So I was looking forward to reviewing it and I was looking forward to watching it again because uh, I haven't watched it for a while. And... Um, yeah, we'll see if my thoughts are the same. And obviously, I don't know what your thoughts on it are. So yeah, yeah. we haven't ever spoken about this one actually. We haven't. No. Yeah. So um, just last uh, uh, in October 2014, uh, oh. this was first broadcast. Gosh, that seems like a long time now. That does. But it only feels like we uh, like when we originally watched this series. Uh, it doesn't feel that long ago. But there we go. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, Jamie uh, Matheson. Uh, writing duties on this one. Um, Whatever happened to him? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, and uh, yes, forty-five minutes—the standard time uh, for these episodes. And yes, it's the the plot is um, the Doctor and Clara um, arrive on the Orient Express, but not as we know it. It's like the futuristic one that travels through space. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people on the train who are getting picked off by this mysterious mummy. And uh, it transpires that uh, all the people on this train have been put there purposely by this AI computer named Gus. Mm-hmm. Is it Gus? Yeah. Gus. Um, and it turns out that all these brainy scientific people aren't that brainy and it's down to the doctor to solve it. And uh, there's also a little bit of a Clara issue thing going on as well Yeah. in the, in the background. Um, so yeah, pretty good story, um, and I think we know your feelings on it already, mate. You uh, you you really like this one, right? I do really like it. Yes, I I loved it when it first aired. I thought it was a great concept, um, but I watched it again yesterday, and I still oh, really oh, enjoyed it. Oh, no, oh. I still really enjoyed it, but do you know what? It wasn't quite as good as I remembered. Oh, um, oh. yeah, there are there are a couple of. <laughs> things i made notes on but i still really like it I, I still think it's a good episode a very good episode but yeah it wasn't quite the 45 minute brilliant spectacular that i had in my head which i remember at the time if you know what i mean okay right. yeah there were a few little issues with it i found but yeah overall i do think this is a very good story interesting mm. um i thought you were going to go for it's like the best thing in in modern who and well, no, I think in my I think in my head I was thinking this, and I remember uh, another story from Series A, which I'm not going to name because we'll probably review it. And I don't want to ruin it. There were two stories that really, really uh, stuck in my mind as being great 
in series eight that I really, really enjoyed. Right. This was one of them. Um, and I did really enjoy it again yesterday, but there were a few little niggles with it as well, um, which we'll, which we'll talk through, but yeah, I still think it's good. Um, so cool. what did you think? I mean, from when you first watched it and rewatching it again? Uh, so I remember when I first watched this one, I thought at the time it was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the only, th- there, I, th- I think like you, there's a couple of little things with it that, that put me off a little bit. And then when I rewatched it, I only watched it this morning. Oh, okay. Um, I rewatched it first thing this morning when I woke up and, um, um, I still think it's good. Yeah. I still think it's a very good story. Um, but these little things that niggled me back, back when, cause I think when I watched it back then, I recorded it on Sky when it went out. So I think I watched it a couple of times before I deleted it off the Skybox. Mm. Um, and re-watching it again, obviously, you know, a year or so later, because um, I've not watched it since then. Those little things that niggled me have, have not gone away, mm. um, unsurprisingly. So I, I, I think it's a good story, and I, and I think it's a good... Um, a good script and whatnot and sort of thing. But it's, there are, there are a couple of things that, that stick in my mind and think, Oh, I wish that didn't happen. Yeah. Or I wish that wasn't written. You know, I wish it wasn't written that way Mm. because it could have been like a phenomenal episode. It could have been, you know, one of the best, but I think that's one of the things that struck me yesterday, actually, as I kept thinking, this has the potential to be an absolute classic. Yeah. And it just slightly misses that actually because of a few little bits. Um, I know one of the things that annoyed people at the time when it first aired was the fact that at the end of Kill the Moon, Clara had had a hissy fit and was off, yeah. and it was all over. Mm-hmm. She wasn't travelling with the Doctor anymore, and we were kind of like, that was how it was en- left, ended, and we were kind of like, oh, what's going to happen <laughs> next week? And then it just starts with them back being BFFs and... You know, it's one last hurrah, and I'm not angry with you anymore. And and it kind of felt like almost like an episode was missing. Like, hang on, how yep. have you gone from swearing in Doctor Who and storming out the TARDIS to to being, yeah, well, let's you know, let's go and have a little last hurrah together. And so that I think that niggled people at the time, and it it certainly niggled me at the time. Yeah, felt felt like we'd missed something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll come on to we'll come on to Clara actually in a little while because that's mm. that was my major niggle. Yeah, with it we'll come on to a bit more detail about Clara, but um, like story wise, like the overall story and the script and how it was written and uh, some direction and pacing and stuff. Overall, I thought uh, it looked visually it looked great. It does, it's apart a, from the CGI, apart train. from the train. Yeah, um, it, visually it looks great. Mm. Like the. Because the, the sets themselves were quite small, as you'd expect being on a they train. They feel it, don't they? And yeah. It feels quite claustrophobic and stuff. But the um, the lighting was great. Like you know, when the when they first get, when they first walk into the train, it's got that kind of old schooly um, feel to it, but still looks quite clean. And then mm. later on in the episode, when like the the holographic stuff sort of you know gets taken away, and they're in that very clinical looking sort of science lab that looks really really good as well Mm. like they've got that the old very retro looking 1950s thing down but they've also got the real cool looking scientific futuristic stuff looking really good yeah and also the mummy effects the costume was superb excellent yeah it's really good there was no um 
there was no CG involved. There was no um, sort of strange, weird actors who were like eight feet tall, you know, Mm -hmm. to play it. Because although it sounds quite simple, you're just wrapping somebody in bandages and stuff, Mm -hmm. it can be easy to screw up. Well, it looks slightly better than the Tractators from Frontius, which is what I was trying to remember earlier. (laughs) Oh, the Tractor. Yeah. (laughs) You found it, It's only just come to me all this time later. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so no, the Mummy, I think, looks great. And it works really, really well. Um, You know, the guy in it just sticking his hand forward. And the the thing I love about this story is the concept. This whole thing of start the clock, 66 seconds of this thing coming towards you. And I like the fact that only the person who's about to die can see it. So you kind of look, the person who's about to die looks like some kind of nutcase yeah. that's going, get it off me, get it off, you know. And it's like, I like, I just love that whole concept. It's quite a, a creepy um, idea. And, uh, and it's interesting that the woman at the start um, <laughs> drove me mad when I first watched this, trying to remember where I'd seen her before. Uh, the first lady to get knocked off. Um, she was in The Curse of Fenric. Um, her name in this is Mrs. Miss Pitt. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember her name in Curse of Federick, but yeah, yeah. So she's the first one to get get killed by Jan- Janet Henfrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's nice. Um, but well, not nice that she gets killed, <laughs> but nice to have her back in the show. Um, looking the same as well all these years later. Yeah, looking yep. the same. Um, so yeah, it's a great concept. Really, really like all that. And love the mummy. Like you said, the sets look great. Um, and it's visually very nice. One thing that's always bugged me, and perhaps you can answer this. Because I did notice a throwaway line yesterday, which may be explained it. One thing that's always driven me mad is that we get all these terrible CGI shots of the train swishing through space. Yeah. But then when we're inside, there's no motion at all. And the thing is, I actually don't like this modern way of filming where we've got handheld cameras all the time moving around. You know, a lot of shows use that because I find that really irritating. Right. But in this, I think it actually would have added a bit more because there's no sense when they're in the set, when they're in the train, sorry, there's no sense of any motion at all because there's nothing going past the windows because they're in space. There's no movement. It's very flat. And it, it really bugs me because it's like I don't feel you get scenes of the train swishing around and then it cuts to inside and it's deadly still. And I just feel like... Yeah, but there is something about a decompression chamber being turned off towards the end. So maybe that's why. <laughs> I don't know. Of all, it, the, of all the things to, to, I just to find niggle it, you, the motion on the train doesn't emulate a realistic Well, it doesn't give me any feel. It almost feels like I feel like I'm watching a, 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 a sort of play. It doesn't get, there's no, I don't know. Maybe it's, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's the direction. I don't know. There's no there's no sense of sort of anything right. on the train. I would probably say that there's some kind of futuristic inertial damper or inertial buffer <laughs> so that it's a completely smooth journey. Smooth, right. I think there is, as I say, I think there is something about decompression mentioned towards the end because you see those <laughs> chefs, don't you, floating outside at the end and it's all oh, yeah, kind of yeah. going crazy. And then, yeah, so maybe there is a reason behind it, but... I don't know, it just didn't match up to me. That stupid train going swishing around and then they just stood there chatting away. I it, don't know. It, this reminds me of a conversation from an episode of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know that um, a lot of you like that show and some of you don't, but there's a, there's a really funny conversation where they're discussing Superman and when Lois Lane is falling from a skyscraper... Um, 
if Superman was travelling at the actual speed he was, then when his arms went out, Lois Lane would just be chopped into three equal parts because, <laughs> you know, the terminal velocity that she's travelling at versus Superman's, you know, relevance. He can't match relevant speed while she's falling and he just... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I can't say I've ever thought about that while watching this story. Right. Uh, this doesn't niggle me or bug me. It's um, I just assumed... Well, actually, I never thought about it, but now you've mentioned it, I just assume that it's just a clever space travel thing where everything's just buffered and stuff and it's very smooth and it's not meant to be like an old-fashioned train. Right, yeah. But, you know, let's let's get uh let's get Jamie on on the on the podcast and quiz him. <laughs> well, let's get Paul Wimhurst the director. Or the director, yeah, let's let's get both on and say, guys, what is going on? Yeah. Um, but no, I haven't thought about it before. Okay, Put maybe next way. time you watch it, you'll see. Yeah. Even the little bit of motion would be good. It just feels to me like the cameraman's gone, right, set the tripod up here, go. There's no, there's just no motion. And when I first watched this, um, and we saw that bit at the beginning with the old woman, um, and she's kicking off and nobody else can see, um, I, I thought the very beginning is like, how are they going to explain this? How are they going to twist this one? Because... Uh, Initially, I thought it was going to be a clever device that the Doctor sort of constructs, like, you know, like a Ghostbusters kind of thing where he can only, people can only see the mummy at certain times and he constructs this device. And it turns out to be a bit more of a an emotional impact, really, because mm-hmm. the whole concept of this mummy is, isn't it like, um, isn't it, wasn't it originally a soldier? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, the kind reason, of malfunctioning. Yeah. And it's not until like the last second that the doctor figures out why why it's doing it. And it's quite, it, it's a bit more of a, a a touching scene, really, especially when the way the doctor says, um, you're relieved, soldier. We surrender, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he surrenders and he says, you're relieved. And then he just disappears into like a pile of, of ash and stuff. Mm. Um, I didn't see that coming. Originally, when I first watched it, and we see like the first bulk of the episode, I thought it would be a lot more of a a typical. It really is an evil monster, you know, that's just out to kill people. So that's mm. another clever little thing that I liked about it, where you know it was more of a it was a malfunction thing, and you know it, it just needed something as simple as that, you know, to stop it. So yeah, because um, it looks so terrifying. It's quite yeah, like you said, you wouldn't see it coming. I mean, it looks so horrific. The mummy It's yeah, it's a good twist that it turns out to be. Yeah, something that just needs and uh, a testament to the makeup and the actual uh, look of this mummy because it does look pretty scary. Mm. I remember when we went to the Symphonic Spectacular in mm. Wembley. Was it last year? My dates all over the place now because this is I, yeah two years I think old. It was last year. I think it, I'm sure it was last year at Wembley Arena, and there was a bit where they were playing the soundtrack to this story. Uh, which we'll come on to in a second, the soundtrack. And um, they actually had a, a person in the mummy costume who looked mm. identical to in the story. They did it, they did it really well. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a, a, a young kid, I think he's only about seven or eight years old, a couple of rows behind me. He went completely ballistic. <laughs> like literally he was scared so badly. He's like his, his mum, like she wrapped him up and she like had his head like under her coat and he was like shaking violently so much because he was crying and screaming so much. Oh. Um, so it's testament to the makeup. It does look completely terrifying. Mm. Yeah, um, they did a really good job on that. Yeah, yeah. I do like the look of it. And uh, so 
makeup wise, visually wise, it looks it looks stunning. Um, and that yeah, actual story plot as well, for the most part, was really good. Yeah, I think so. I, I wasn't the first time I watched it. I wasn't too sure why. You know, it took me two watches to to actually get to the conclusion and in, in terms of what happened because I wasn't sure what what the doctor had managed to do at the end the first time i was thinking so why was the mummy killing people it was a bit mm-hmm. unclear but yeah the second time i watched it it's all there it is, it is really well um written in, yeah. in, in terms of that yeah and did you like the little reference to um the empty child are you my mummy i love that that's and, cool uh, isn't it i completely forgot that was in there yeah i, I did a little yeah, that brought a real big smile to my face when I watched that again yesterday because I'd, I'd forgotten he says that. Um, that's a really nice throwback as well. And and kind of, a, I suppose, an obvious one that sort of thing you might be saying to the screen. But yeah, it's really, really nice little touch, that. And we had the jelly babies in the cigarette case as well. Uh, again, really good. I love it. Cause yeah. I, yeah, I remember when you first got the cigarette case out thinking, Doc, they wouldn't, they wouldn't. Not, no. not even like on the, you know, I imagine getting a cigar out. Yeah. And, um, and it suits Peter's doctor so much that, yeah. you know, cigarette case with the jelly babies in. Yeah. Really good little touch. And they, yeah, they're, they're really subtle, aren't they? They're not sort of in your face too much, but they really work. Yeah. You, great you, I, don't, I didn't see it coming. I actually thought, you know, because Capaldi's doctor is so unpredictable anyway, especially in series eight. You don't know what he's going to do, so it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd got a cigar, <laughs> cigar out. But it's a really nice touch that having the jelly babies in it. Yeah. It's not the only Fourth Doctor reference we get, is it? Because he does a really good yeah. impression of the Fourth Doctor when he's talking to himself in the carriage, which is another brilliant scene. Oh, it's great that little scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when he's doing, yeah, when he's talking to himself, I actually really I smiled big time when, yeah. with that little scene. Those little Capaldi moments. Um, are really what makes his doctor really good. Um, just, he does a good impression of Tom as well, doesn't he? He's actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So I really like that. Um, supporting cast. Mm. Um, overall, I thought they were pretty good. I yeah. thought they, they, played, they played them very well. The only one that I wasn't... Um, well, the, the captain was pretty good, Captain Quell. Yes. Um, played by David Bamber. He was... He was pretty good, I thought. He had this, um, like the the typical British thing going on again, like the army general uh, vibe. I thought that was pretty good. Um, the only the only supporting cast that I wasn't sort of too enamoured at was um, uh, Maisie. Maisie, you know mm. the the girl that Clara sort of gets stuck gets in in the room with. with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't a a massive fan of her. I mean, I thought she was okay, but I just found her a bit flat. She, yeah. You know, though I didn't really see, like, because it wasn't her real mum that, that died in front of her at the beginning that we, mm. found, we find out, isn't it? It's just this woman just told her to call her that. But even so, there, there's an emotional attachment there. Although she looked quite shocked, I didn't really see much sort of despair and, you know, that sort of scene. And then, Later on, when she sees the mummy, um, I just didn't. I, I, for some reason, I just didn't see enough from her. I thought she was okay, but I thought she. I found her quite flat. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't. She's not terrible, but she's she's quite cold. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that was supposed to be intentional. Like she's supposed to have had this sort of strange relationship with that woman that's her mum or whatever. Mm. But yeah, she's she's okay. I don't think she's bad, but. Yeah, you don't really warn to her because yeah. I mean that's that's a great bit at the end where the doctor's telling Clara, 
bring her here. I need her, you know, almost like in this in a scientific way. Like I need her to die here, not yeah. there, mm-hmm. you know, because I need to, you know, it'll be a waste if she dies there. You know, I'm not going to learn anything. So um, although you don't particularly warm towards the character, you still sort of think, oh, no, you can't let her die. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Actually, the doctor doesn't really warm to these characters either. because no. He's quite happy for them to to bite the bullet for the sake of research. Yeah, well, I think you know? this is the thing. In in Compaldi's first series, he's very much, um, he's quite cold, really. He mm-hmm. he very much is sort of um, looking at the bigger picture, if you think about the bit, like when he, he sort of sacrifices that guy in, into the Dalek, and yeah. he's like, he was going to die anyway. You know, we, we've yeah. got to think of what the bigger picture here. So his Doctor in his first series is very much like that, and especially in this episode. Yeah. he's His goal is to solve the puzzle and and move on and if it means you know and if someone's going to die anyway then they he may as well make the most of them dying you know it's a very cold attitude but he's thinking you know that's his doctor at this point isn't it he's just thinking of the bigger picture and we do we do get a bit of a a bit of a reprise at right at the very end where they're on the beach and clara says he, he he says to her that he managed to bring everybody to the next city and stuff like that, and she's like, "Oh, you saved everybody then." <laughs> so he's not he's not completely cold hearted, no. But, but, but just those moments where, yeah, like you say, he's happy for them to go because they're gonna go anyway. But do you know what I love about that? Because that is such a a really gorgeous end scene. Mm-hmm. I love that bit on the beach at the end. But what I love about that is, did the Doctor save them all? Because this is what I love about his Doctor, especially in Series Eight. He kind of says it in a way. In a sort of sarcastic way, you don't think I'd let them all die, or something? He kind of says it in a way that could be taken either way. Like, yeah, I, I didn't actually, I couldn't save them. You know, he, I, I'm not even convinced. You know, it could be very fifty-fifty. He, he's saying they're over. He's dropped them off. Yeah. In that, you know, over there. But he could just be saying that to Clara because he knows she'll go mad if he says, oh, "I couldn't save them. I can only save us." So, but I really like that. You just you don't know with Capaldi's Doctor. You don't know a hundred percent. If he if yeah. he was given the choice between them all dying and him him saving him and Clara and that being it, yeah, he's going to save him and Clara, but he's not going to say to her, "Yeah, I could only save her, so I jumped ship." Okay, you know? yeah. so I like that. I mean, we we assume he saved them all. It's you know, I think he did. Yeah, I think yeah. it's safe. But to there say. is that element to him that <laughs> he you watch that scene, he sort of goes, "Well, yeah, maybe I did." Yeah. You know, you just don't know a Capaldi's doctor, and I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the captain, he was, he was pretty good. Um, Maisie, yeah, he's good casting. Found yeah. a bit flat. Uh, let's talk about Frank Skinner as Perkins. Perkins. Um, I really, I really did like this this character. I remember when he was cast um, as, as this character. Or well, actually, we didn't know that he was going to play this character. We just knew that he was cast in Doctor Who. I was really chuffed for him. Yeah. Because he's such a massive fan. If anybody ever listens to his podcast, he does. It's basically just a, um, just a repeat of the radio show. I think it's um, what radio pro station does he do it on? I can't remember. Absolute Radio. Absolute. That's yeah. It, yeah, and he always talks about Doctor Who, <laughs> and his co-hosts know that he loves it and always bring it up. And uh, I remember when he first got cast, he was over the moon, and I thought initially, I'm so I'm so happy for you because it must be cool, a bit like Capaldi, really, to be a lifelong fan. And then to get cast in the program that you love so much, but then I thought, oh, is is this going to be typical comic relief? Mm. Because he's a comedian by trade, you know, are we just going to have almost a slapsticky 
you know, trying to be funny, lighthearted comic relief character that just doesn't work in Doctor Who sometimes. Yeah. Because we had that with Nick Frost in the Christmas special mm. where he was relatively funny and I really like Nick Frost, but yeah. So, I, you know, I thought, you know, is it gonna, but he turned out to be really good. He, he didn't go with that stupid, um, any kind of, you know, over-the-top comedic stuff, which is not really Frank Skinner's style anyway. He's a bit more of a, you know, he's he's down to earth a lot of times and he's quite slow. You know, he's he, and he did play that really well. And I was, I really hope we see him again because yeah. we came close. We came close. The Doctor offered him, didn't he? He did mm-hmm. say, um, but he turned it down. But what did you think of his character? I loved his character. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Frank Skinner a lot. Um, I think that's the thing. We always assume as soon as a comedian's cast that mm-hmm. they're going to be over the top and terrible. And actually, n- normally the opposite is the case because comedians are, are quite often good actors because they've got a, a, a range uh, of emotions going on in their head anyway. Catherine um, Tate. I, yep. Catherine Tate, yeah. Yep. And I, um, Ken Dodd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, no, I think I think Frank's great in it and he's really likable. Um, he's... Yeah, he's he's playing it straight down the line. He's not not trying to be comedic in any way. Um, I think it probably broke his heart a little bit when he read the script and the doctor says, "You know, I could do with someone like you. Do you want to come with me?" And I bet he read the next line and went sort of probably got his pen out and changed the answer to yes because <laughs> I think he would have loved to have joined him. And in fact, I think on the on the it's not confidential anymore, is it? But the making of that they used to put out. Oh yeah, that got yeah. cut down to about two minutes. Um, I think he said, you know, on the first take, he actually just said yes, just to, you know, as a joke. And, that, you know, and they said, okay, right, we'll go again. And I was really hoping that I'd end up on the DVD or that they would show the take on the making of, but they didn't. But apparently, he, yeah, he he would have loved to have gone, yeah. gone with the Doctor. But he's likeable and I like Frank. Yeah, I think he's really good in it. Yeah, I like his character because um, there's, there's nice little scenes with the Doctor in this story. The first one that I really liked is when the doctor's coming out of his room and Perkins is already standing there with like some blueprints and stuff Mm. like that. And he's like, maybe I'm the mummy. Yeah. Or maybe I've just already started looking into it. And the doctor has this little grin as if to say, okay, yeah, you got me. And then later on he says, um, he reveals, doesn't he? Like quite a big uh, clue to the answer, an answer to the clue. And he's like, you're a genius. You know, those little scenes were really good and all the time Frank Skinner plays it with a straight face he has like these little grins from time to time but his fan you know his fanboy self isn't coming out and he's got this stupid grin he actually plays it really well yeah um so yeah Perkins really like that character I like it when he tells the doctor off as well at the end when the doctor's someone's just died um I think it's Captain Quell isn't it and Yes. And the doctor's just moving on to the next bit, and and uh, Perkins is horrified. He's like, "Look, someone's just died here. Can we take a minute? Can we you take know? a moment? Yeah. yeah, yeah." So no, I think Frank works really well in it. I like I like the the little bits between him and the doctor. Yeah, maybe we'll see him on Big Finish. Yes, that'd maybe, be good. Maybe we'll hear him on Big Finish. Maybe Perkins Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it could be Perkins and Clive and Clive. I did think of Clive when I was outside yeah. the Queen's Arcade the other day. I was thinking, oh, Clive died in there. Or did he? <laughs> or did he? Do you know what? He? I'm I'm not going to say any more. I've got to continue writing that story about Clive. <laughs> and he is bound in my story to bump into Perkins. Yeah. if I should, People out there, the Clive we're referring to, I'm sure you know, but just in case you don't, is Clive from rose the episode rose when he gets uh, obliterated by an auton in the shopping arcade because we love clive yeah 
He's got so perfect. much potential to be a great character. It winds... Anyway, anyway. Uh, Perkins, great character. Let's move on to Clara. Yes. Let's move on to Clara. This was, my, this was the biggest niggle for me, was Clara in this episode. Mm. Because it unfortunately turns into one of those stories where it's just about a stroppy companion... Yep. who doesn't seem to be liking what's going on at the moment, so they make a big song and dance and fuss about things. And instead of the writers or Jamie Matheson's, you know, I, I can see why he... And I'm I'm going to put, you know, the cards on the table here. I'm going to say that the whole thing about Clara was a Moffat thing. Okay. I think it was an overall arcing thing to run through the series that had to be in the story. I don't think that it's... Uh, a specific thing that was relative um, to this or relevant to this story in itself. I, I think this was a Moffat thing to work, to play on the whole uh, chemistry and relationship between the doctor and Clara, because mm. this story would have been absolutely fine and near perfect without Clara. Yeah. You know, she didn't need to be in this at all. She has no value to the story. She's just a bit mopey, a little bit grumpy. Um, and, and the way it's written, I'm sure it's Moffat. I'm certain of it because he panders to it. Mm. He's like, you know, he's he's a little bit sort of put out that she's, you know, that this is like the last Ferrar and it's, you know, the last adventure and, and that sort of thing. And for the most part, to be fair, the Doctor does get on with it. He doesn't really sort of play up to it too much. But just mm. this whole thing about her him that Clara following him around and this mopey face and it's all about Clara for this one it's all about you know how she feels and she doesn't like it anymore and yeah she has to keep phoning Danny and checking it's all right it's just too high maintenance Mm. for me it's like Mm. it's like you know I don't know if you've ever had any partners girlfriends or boyfriends like this but you know when they just ring you out the blue and nothing's really wrong they just want a bit of attention Mm. and you're like oh you know do we have to do this now i'm busy you know there's nothing wrong with you really it's just you know just you know sort yourself out get on with it you know i I find clara that that's the biggest thing that spoils the story for me was that the clara i mean we had this like you said earlier this thing in the previous episode kill the moon where she's like i don't want to do this anymore so see you later Mm. and we could have done with two or three stories without her but no, she has to come back. She has to bring the mood down of the story. And yeah, I, I, it just, it really does spoil it for me. Mm. Because I think to myself, you know, don't turn into a Rose, you know, because some yeah. episodes with Rose and David Tennant's Doctor, she can be a bit like that. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. where it's all yeah. about Rose and it's all about how she's feeling. And, you know, the universe can go to, to hell in a handbasket as long as she's happy. Mm. Too high maintenance for me, mate. What, what do you think about Clara in this? Yeah, she's, I mean, the thing is, Clara's totally sidelined in this episode, isn't she? And like you said, to be honest, she didn't need to be in it at all. In fact, it's now we look back at it, after the big strop from last week, this could have well been the Clara Light episode because the next one flatline is the Doctor Light episode, isn't it, where yes. he's hardly in it. Yeah. Which So which is the Clara Light episode? Is it this one? I'm not sure. But she, yeah, she didn't even need to be in this one, to be honest, because she, yeah, she doesn't add anything to it. Um, and she basically, I mean, we get Perkins is more of a companion to the Doctor and Clara. She's kind of just locked away in that room mm-hmm. to, to be sulky, 
um, with Maisie. Yes. And that's all she gets to do. So I do agree with you. Um, yeah, we didn't really need her in it. And if she is going to be in it, she could have been given something else to do other than mope around and moan. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And the, the odd scene phoning Danny as well and all that. It's like, it kind of slows that because it's not interesting, is it? We're interested in the mummy and what's going on with that. So exactly. when we do get those yeah. scenes, you're kind of like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. And she yeah. could have been in it at the end. You know, the doctor could yeah. have could have turned up and they could have had this little conversation and she could have phoned Danny and turned around and said, you know, he's fine. Even though he's not, she completely lies to the doctor. Mm, um, again, yeah. You know, and they would have been off. You know, she didn't need to be in this story at all. Mm. And I'm really disappointed about that because, like I said earlier, it could have been a great story. Um, but for some reason, they and, and, I, and I'm very sorry to Stephen Moffat if, it is, if this is wrong, but it just it's just got Moffat written all over it, mm. you know. Um, and I'm sure that when Jamie Matheson put this script in and Stephen Moffat had briefed him on what the overall story arc was and stuff like that, it probably just needed to be in there for that sake. Yeah, sort of shoehorned in. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. So, yeah, not really a fan. I mean, Clara, you know, as, you know, Jenna Coleman was fine in the episode. No complaints with how she how she brought the part, you know, to life. Mm-hmm. You know, playing this kind of stroppy, um, you know, I need a bit of attention sort of thing. You know, she played it relatively well. I just feel that the character itself just was irrelevant completely in the story. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would concur with that. I agree. It's, 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 mm. it's likened to some of the classic episodes where, um, uh, Bonnie or you know, I'm trying to think of someone else like Nicola Bryant's character, where they have no purpose in the story, other than to just have the odd scene of them running away screaming. A bit like yeah, you're thinking of Revelation and stuff like that, where Re- they get yeah, yeah she got absolutely nothing to do. Yeah. Yes, it's a bit like that. You know, she's quite useless in the story, but she has to be there. For whatever reason. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so, yeah. And Capaldi. Capaldi. Um, for me, and I've, I've said this a few times now, um, I think he was written superbly in this episode. In fact, I don't think he's been written better. I, I think Jamie Matheson just nailed it with the Doctor's character. I love the fact he's in charge. I love the th- fact that he's like the scientist figuring it out. Um, I love the way he looks. I love the costume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, when I watched this, I thought Capaldi's hit his stride. This is it. He's found his Doctor, um, and it's kind of, kind of annoys me when I think of how he's been written in Series Nine. Although I liked a lot of Series Nine compared to this, because uh, there's none of that fumbling around, mm-hmm. throwing out one-liners that don't suit his doctor. In this, he's as cool as a cucumber, and yes. he's really, yeah. he plays the humour that he does have much more subtly, like when he's saying, can I talk about the planets now? Because Clara's going on, and yeah. he's, you know, he's grumpy, likeable, <laughs> in charge. It, to me, it's the perfect characterization of his doctor. I love the way he's written in this, and I think he acts it and plays it brilliantly. Um, I would have liked to see him been like this a lot more because I it annoys me in series nine. Like you know, even in the scenes with Davros when he's bumbling around and he's making silly jokes that are more like the eleventh Doctor than his Doctor. No, this was perfect for me. The whole jelly baby talking to himself, working stuff out, the stick on the beach, everything about it. It's it's my favourite characterisation of twelfth Doctor. I just love it. That's fair enough, dude. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think and I think he's more like Tom Baker in this episode than just mm. that impression. Mm. Um, I think he is quite like, I think he's, the way that the character was written in this one was quite like the, the fourth Doctor a lot. The whole mm. talking to yourself thing. Because um, back, back in the day, there, Tom Baker had some scenes like that. Um, like, uh, like the arc in space. I'm thinking of where he's like chatting away to himself. Mm. You know, they can't quite decipher what's going on. And then he's like flitting back between talking to them and talking to himself. And, you know, so he does have that classic feel to it. But his doctor on this one, mm. like you say, he's not clowning around a lot. There's not these stupid one liners and stuff. And it's weird because I actually enjoy series nine more than series eight. But I enjoy Car- uh, Capaldi's character of the doctor more in series eight than series mm. nine, if that makes sense. I'm starting to think that as well. Yeah. Because yeah. he is a bit more. He is a bit. He's written in series eight to be a bit more. Yes, he is a bit more grumpy, and stuff like that. But that's part. Of the, that's why they cast him in the first place because of that stuff. Um, His doctor seems a bit more confident, a bit more sort of strict, and yes, like he's standing yeah. up straight and like I'm not having it, you know. And he's he's very much in control. Yeah. Whereas the doctor we're getting from him in series nine is a little bit like he's sort of hunched over and scuttling around and not very confident. I don't know. I just loved, I just like the more confidence that he has in yep. this. Yeah. And he, he did, he did play this, uh, the doctor in this particular story. Mm. Very, very good. Yeah. I think he's electric. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and lastly, before we move on to scores, I just want to mention the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Very quickly, because there are a few moments in this where it sounded just like a 1970s Doctor Who episode. I don't know if you caught that. Yes, yeah, I think the soundtrack's nice. We get Foxes at the beginning doing foxes, their little yep. song, don't we? And mm-hmm. I remember when she was announced and everyone was like, who the hell's Foxes? <laughs> and uh, she's, she's gone on to do all right, actually. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's quite a nice little soundtrack, nice little beginning. Yeah, yeah, and not just that song at the beginning, but just the music at certain points throughout the episode. Mm. Um, it sounds like an old classic Doctor Who episode. And it suits yeah. this really well because it's meant to be set in that time, isn't it? Like it's proper old school. It looks like you know, like fifties kind of boardwalk empire kind of oh yeah vibe. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. So it, it, the soundtrack suits it very, very well. Is it thirties, fifties, uh, or forties, something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. I know what you mean. It's not too overbearing either, is it? Mm. Even in the sort of like action scenes, it's not too overbearing. Um, uh, the style you mentioned, actually, I've just got to say, is the whole style of the episode is good. Um, I forgot about the sac- how do you say it? sarcophagus? Sarcophagus, yeah. Which is another bit of a throwback to the Fourth Doctor. Which reminds me of something out of Pyramids of Mars, doesn't it? You, the whole design of it is really, really nice. Yes. Um, don't know why it's got bubble wrap inside it though. Did we ever get to the bottom of that? No. Well, maybe that is a little, a little dig at the Ark in space because that's uh-huh. oh like yeah. The monsters <laughs> in that were basically made of bubble wrap. Bubble wrap from yeah, yeah Tom Baker. So mm. yeah, it, it looked very good though. Like the way it opened up with all the lights and stuff. Oh, it does. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. It was very Pyramids of Mars, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that was The Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. Our thoughts. Let's move on to scores. I think it's me. It's you, isn't it? Yeah. To go first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Okay. Yeah. I must admit, before I watched this again the other night, I was in my head thinking, this is a 9. This is a strong nine. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I've gone down ever so slightly. Still think it's really good, but I'm going for 8.5. Okay. 
out of 10. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Really good, Dave. I do enjoy this one a lot. An awful lot. Did you knock a couple of, uh, a, a half a point off or something because of... Um, it wasn't... Yeah, it just wasn't quite the epic episode that I had in, in my memory. It's, I still really enjoyed it, but it's, yeah, I'd forgotten about all the stuff with Clara and, and all that sort of stuff. And right, right. Yeah, there were just a few little bits that, that, that weren't quite... Because it, it took a little bit to get going as well. Um, I mean, we've got the brilliant intro with the de- you know the woman being knocked off by the mummy and all that. But then there's that, yeah, it takes a while when Clara gets locked in the room. And I was thinking, come on, let's get into it. Um, right. But yeah, still really enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. still think it's a cracking episode and a brilliant, brilliant idea. Do we ever find out who Gus is, the computer behind it all? Because the doctor mentions him. No. Says, oh, I spoke to him before and all that sort of stuff. Do we ever find out who, what that's about? No, we don't. Because right at the yeah. end... Um, he does mention that he wasn't able to sort of hack into the computer in time to find out, you know, all that stuff about Gus mm-hmm. and why he, why he did that. So no, we we don't. So mm. it's a bit of a mystery. Bit of a mystery left untold. Yeah, voiced by John Sessions as well. He's quite well known, isn't it? Which I didn't realise, and I've just seen it in front of me on the screen. I didn't even realise it was him. Yes, actually, just to before we move on to our listener reviews, um, I I any fans of Red Dwarf out there. Um, <laughs> I thought that the voice, the guy who, um, the, the voice of Gus, was very much like the restaurant um, bots in Red Dwarf. You know, when they go up, he's like, I want a chicken curry with something. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. we have. It just sounded like just like the, uh, the voice of that in Red Dwarf. But anyway, uh, I gave it an eight because um, uh, I think it's a great story. I think Capaldi's brilliant. Um, I just knocked a couple of points off because this whole Clara thing really just burns the bacon. Mm. It really just it just spoils it for me completely, and not completely, but it, you know it spoils like the shine. It gets it takes, in the way, yeah. And without that, and maybe exploring a bit more of this mummy character, um, I think it could have been an amazing, maybe a nine point five mm. sort of episode. But, but it is what it is. For for a first script from Mephisto for Doctor Who, it's a it's a cracker though, isn't it? I remember thinking, oh, yeah. oh this yeah. guy's. Yeah, this guy can come back, and and in fact he does in Flatline, the very next story. So, yeah, yeah, it's good, very promising. Yes. Uh, what did you guys think to uh, Mummy on the Orient Express? Uh, let's do an audio clip first of all. This is Joe Sweeney. Mummy on the Orient Express. Reflecting back on this episode, I thought it was um, a very well thought up episode um, by James Matheson. And, and also, I must say, it's one of the bestest episodes of Series 8. And and I like the concept of the story. It had a very strong pacing. The the, I want to, the famous train I want to express traveling in far reaches of space was like, was like very, very, very good. And also, the mummy monster was very well thought up, especially when it was coming towards people and people had 60 seconds to live. That was really scary. And also... Um, Peter Capaldi, he gave one strong performance in this episode, and also with the, and also with the Doctor had jelly babies inside um, the cigarette case. That was a really great touch to this episode, and Clara was okay in this one, not brilliant, but okay, and also that computer Gus was I, I found him really ruthless and evil, and um, Frank Frank supporting cast was very good, like by even Frank Skinner was really brilliant he was helpful and funny and it's a shame he turned down the doctor's offer to travel with him in the TARDIS because I think he would have made a great companion 
And also, I like the ending as well, that him and Clara have made up and put their differences aside. So, I'm going to give The Mummy on the Orient Express a score of 8 out of 10. Hope you enjoy the podcast, guys. I'll speak to you soon again. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Eager as you, 8 out of 10. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, On Twitter, George Garrity. Uh, Twitter name is at G underscore Unit 91. He says, a highly overrated episode. Yeah. Uh, Clara's random return was frustrating given her exit in the previous episode. The monster's costume was great, though. However, the other costumes weren't as much. Uh, Capaldi was okay in this. Uh, Frank Skinner was uh, was great, too. The whole start-the-clock thing was annoyingly repetitive, and the story wasn't fully concluded, so 4.5. 4.5. Wow, that's low, isn't it? Yeah, does the clock thing irritate you? I know a few people think that. They're like, oh, that clock going again. Do, do you think we only needed it the first time? Uh, like it's like we get the idea mm. but I quite like it's in the old fashioned style of a clock so it doesn't really bug bug me that um, I, I it didn't really bug me too much I th- no. I, again I, it wasn't you know it's fine yeah it's fine uh, continuing on Twitter uh, uh, Josie uh, Cassini Cassini uh, I think I'm saying that right uh, Twitter name is uh, Josie Melancon 30 uh, she says uh, it was a great episode love the countdown the thrill about who was next uh, and what was the mummy and how to stop it mm. uh, so uh, yeah, Josie likes that uh, let's head over to do some more audio this is um, uh, Kevin Gilby hello lads of the big blue box podcast so mummy on the Orient Express a fun often underlooked Peter Capaldi story I love this one. The whole feel, the atmosphere. Space trains. I, I'm surprised Doctor Who's never done this before. The, char- the characters in this story are really, really likeable. Especially Frank Skinner's character. Slightly reminds me of the DJ from Revelation of the Daleks, where he's a fun little side character who plays a nice big role. The soundtrack is absolutely beautiful and fits the tone fantastic. The foretold, genuinely creepy, and actually good Capaldi villain. Along the lines of characters like the Teller and the Boneless, they are up there with my some of my favourite New Who enemies. My only major complaint is there is a little bit of padding in the episode, where sort of Clara and the other woman's trapped in the um, storage hold and nothing really happens between them. Um, oh, and... I'm not a big fan of the character Gus, you know, the computery type character who turns out to be the big villain. I like the accent, and that's the only positive thing I can say really about Gus. Other than that, a fantastically fun little sidetrack from the normal Doctor Who experience of scary monster, scary monster, corridor running, scary monster fiasco that we usually get. I'm going to give this episode a solid... Eight out of ten. Nice one. Thank you very much, buddy. Another eight out of ten, yeah. Yep. Uh, lastly on Twitter, um, last couple, Peter Adamson, Pedro the Hoovian says, overrated. Six Ooh. out of ten. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Dad Doctor Who fan, as in D-A, Doctor Who fan, uh, one of the best stories of new Doctor Who. Uh, a shame if Ethan's next story turned out to be so bad. Uh, but I think Moffat was to blame. What, flatline? Yeah. Really? Okay. 
Yeah. I'm not saying much because I want to review that one. I don't <laughs> want to give away my thoughts. Yeah. Uh, on Facebook, uh, Sammy Satine uh, says, um, so a mummy on a fancy train that once it decides to kill you gives you 66 seconds to live. Brilliant idea for a Doctor Who episode. Mm. Uh, thank you, Jamie Matheson, for writing this. Um, I like the Doctor's outfit and his cigarette case full of jelly babies. Nice reference to the empty child. Doctor dances, are you my mummy? Um, uh, I like Maisie. Clara felt like she was included in this at the last minute, yeah. uh, like it was meant to be a companion light episode. Uh, excellent story, great acting, and Tom Baker impression by Capaldi, 8 out of 10. Another 8 out of 10, excellent. Uh, Scott Stearns. Uh, Frank Perkins as Skinner, especially his entrance from the shadows, was brilliant. Uh, I'm watching again, I noticed the background music a bit more in the beginning as trying to set up the noir vibe. Uh, one of the best from season eight, I love Capaldi playing in the sand on the beach as he asked Clara um, if thinking he, if he had lied for a purpose of making her feel better. Uh, the very last bit with Danny Pink and Clara and the big lie and, a, and addiction to adventure uh, still grates on me though, eight out of ten. Oh. Um, Dean Jones says, uh, one of the most entertaining stories in recent memory and one of Capaldi's best so far. Uh, Capaldi gives a terrific performance. Love the Jelly Baby reference. Uh, the story is very engaging, a solid supporting cast and a great monster in the foretold. And an intriguing villain in Gus. Uh, only real criticism is Clara's appearance being straight after the ending of Kill the Moon, which took me out of the episode slightly, but 9 out of 10. Cheers, Dean. Uh, more audio stuff. Uh, Alex Kingdom. Oh, Gary Allen from the Big Blue Box podcast. Um, hope you guys are well. And um, first off, I just want to say, Gary, no, Adam, did you have a great time in Cardiff? Uh, hopefully you did. Um, Mummy on the Orient Express. Now, this episode, um, it's kind of a Marmite episode. I've seen people say they thought it was bonkers and bananas and people didn't like it. But for me... It's the best 12th Doctor episode in Series 8. Now, the only thing that comes close to this is Flatline. And that was written by also Jamie Matheson, who did the, uh, let's just say, slightly irritating girl who died earlier on in, in Series 9. But, Mummy on the Orient Express has a mummy. It has Clara trapped in a room doing nothing when she shouldn't have even been in the freaking episode. And, um, it also has, um, what's his name? Frank Skinner. In it. I think that worked really well, but I really like the ticking clock effect. I think that worked brilliantly. Some people disagree, but I think it's just fantastic. Also, I didn't like the fact that it changed into like, a science lab. I think that was a little bit unneeded. But apart from that, I love it. I think it's the best um, 12 Doctor episode in Series 8. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Uh, thanks. A 10? 10 out of 10, excellent. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, I Alex. did have a good time. Thanks very much, mate, you little star. <laughs> uh, we're going to roll... Uh, we're going to roll through with the audio. This is uh, our good friend Loopy Lou. Ah, Lou. Hello, Lou. This was one of the best episodes in Series 8, if not the best, in my opinion. The Foretold is a proper scary monster. I mean, there's nothing much more fearful than death itself. Um, Captain Quell, he was an interesting character. Honestly, I think anything with David Bamber in it is going to be good. He's a superb actor. Uh, Favourite quote, sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose. That was the doctor. Mm. And so Clara chose to have her cake and eat it by lying to Danny and the doctor. Naughty girl. <laughs> so I would give this an 8 out of 10. Thanks, Lou. 
Cheers, Lou, and lovely to meet you on Sunday at the Comic Con. Yeah, brilliant. Another eight. The eights are coming in thick and fast. They are, aren't they? Um, yeah. Right. Uh, back on Facebook, George Coppen. Uh, brilliant. One of my favourite Capaldi episodes so far. Uh, loved all the guest stars, especially Frank Skinner. The idea of the mummy is brilliant, but I really want to know who Gus is. Um, mm. Also, I think after Chibnall, Jamie Matheson should be in charge. Gives it 10 out of 10. I must admit, after watching this and uh, and the flatline, I, I remember thinking, guys, you know, we've got a good writer here. Um, shame about the girl who died. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Ben Smith. Uh, the best episode from series eight. Uh, Capaldi is phenomenal, but Clara is a bit annoying. The mummy looks great. Very creepy. Love Perkins. We'd love to see him and Gus return. It's fast paced, but even so, the resolution was a bit rushed. Uh, if it was an hour long, it would be perfect. But um, as it stands, it's a solid 8.5. Mm. Uh, Callum MacArthur. Fantastic episode. One of the best from series eight. Love how Capaldi has a box of jelly babies. Nine out of ten. <laughs> Lewis Palmer definitely the second best story from the series great concept executed brilliantly uh, I think the guest stars were good but Clara was just so annoying yet again no surprise there in brackets uh, love the Jelly Baby uh, cigarette case Capaldi was on top form can't believe that this was aired two years ago oh same uh, we, we said as well it's crazy mm. how time flies anyway love this one 9 out of 10 uh, Finn Walsh great story from series 8 one of my favourite modern episodes uh, Jamie Matheson is a brilliant writer. Definitely want to see him back for series 10. Uh, Peter and Jenna, great as always, a solid nine. And lastly on Facebook, Adam Bryden says, at first, when, um, when it aired two years ago, um, blimey, uh, I didn't uh, like it over time. I enjoyed it more, but I have a few problems with it, so I'm going to give it a 7.5. Mm, okay. Keep it up, guys. Loving the show. Cheers. Thank you, Adam. And lastly, our audio clip is from our good friend, Jay Kent. And start the clock. Hey, Gary and Adam, nice to speak to you again. <laughs> now, I hated Mummy on the Orient Express when it first aired. I thought it was just a silly story made from a one-off joke in the previous series, and I thought that Clara's return after Kill the Moon was unsatisfactory. But now I see it as one of the best episodes in Series 9. It's inventive, spooky, and brilliantly funny. The characters are developed amazingly, and 12 is at his best here, showing the glee of the Doctor alongside how emotionally detached he can be. His Jelly Baby Tin is a hilarious detail, and he looks brilliant in a tux. And Clara's dress is, um, well, <clears throat> anyway, a fantastic episode with a light-hearted tone mixed with heavy themes. I'd give it a good 8.5 out of 10. And unless both of you are an alien mummy, I'll see you next time. Toodaloo and hope you have a good rest of the show. Nice. Toodaloo, there's something you don't hear enough. You don't. Thank you very much, Jay, and welcome back to uh, sending us in your audio clips. Really, uh, look forward to those every week. Awesome. Uh, did you have anything on the Geeks handbag page? Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, Martin Badwilf Havel. He said it's the only episode of Series Eight that he liked. Ooh, Ooh, okay. Spence Horton. He said, "Yep, the only decent story of Series Eight. Gosh, wow." Spence Matthew Blanks says one of the better Capaldi adventures. 
Stephen McCullough from Vote Saxon 07 on YouTube. He says, the only reason why it's judged as good is because it's a floating in the sea of very poor episodes. The timer idea is interesting, but gets old fast. I hate how Clara blows so hot and cold. Um, she was leaving now last week, and now it's one last trip. Yeah, I think that annoyed a few of us. The sets were very boring as well, as the episode is primarily set on a train, and it's clear they just built the one carriage and redressed it for different scenes. Light Capaldi's Tom Baker impression and the jelly babies in the cigarette case was a very nice nod. The mummy was genuinely terrifying, both in style and concept. A lot of tension. The fact that the only victims could see it was very chilling and still shudder with disgust at the foretold hand coming through a doctor's face. That is a great moment, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Skinner was very enjoyable and I was surprised at how much I liked his character kind of feels sad at the end when he doesn't go with the Doctor and Clara the scene on the beach really ends the episode on a good note and we do get a resolution of sorts between the Doctor and Clara it's an average episode shunted up a level or two by an interesting villain and a few good moments and Stephen's given it three out of five three Okay, so yeah, a little bit overrated, he thinks. And finally, Ryan Anthony says, where do I start with this absolute gem of a story? Ever since watching the trailer, this episode was one of the ones I was anticipating the most from Series 8. Whilst watching it, I had a constant smile on my face because I was acknowledging how consistently perfect the episode was. The acting was sensational, the setting was brilliant, the script couldn't have been better, and the plot was so simple yet original. I kind of thought, why hasn't a train-based story like this ever happened before? One other thing I adored, uh, this was the supporting cast, extremely likeable. I actually cared for their fate. In fact, they kind of made Clara pointless in it. Perkins was one awesome character. This episode also contains my best ever quote. Sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose. Best modern Doctor Who episode ever, he says. And he gives it 10 out of 10. Thank you, Ryan. A nice one, Ryan. Uh, some really good scores overall. Um, I think it's a, a few people not really impressed by the whole um, overall story. But I think overall... Not a lot of love for Clara for this one. No, yeah, yeah. But it's supposed to. I mean, it's a Clara light episode, but she should have just stayed at home and had a cup of tea with Danny. I think. Yeah, yeah. So that was Mummy on the Orient Express. Thank you very much for sending in your thoughts. Mm. Um, so next week, um, we're going to do something slightly different because we had a good day yesterday. Oh, we did. Yeah. Um, yes, we uh, we we bagged an interview. Mm. Um, with somebody that we've wanted to talk about for quite a while um, because this particular era of Doctor Who is fascinating to us. Mm. Um, so next week is not going to be the normal run-of-the-mill uh, episode. It's going to be one of our interview uh, episodes. And Adam, who did we chat to yesterday and who can the listeners look forward to us interviewing next week? Uh, we will be talking to Andrew Cartmel, who was script editor on Sylvester McCoy's era of the show. Um, and it was a really, really good chat, wasn't it, Gary? I mean, yes. we actually didn't want to let him go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we both said this. He's, it's fascinating hearing Andrew talk um, about that that era. Um, and he's quite honest about it. He doesn't, you know, he, he gives us some really interesting stuff about, you know, what was going on at the BBC at the time and the show at the time, the casting of Sylvester, all sorts. It's, it's brilliant. I, I just, yeah, you guys are going to love it. It's, it's fascinating. Yes, and we can't underestimate... Um how important this guy was in the direction 
that the character and the show was going mm-hmm. um, when McCoy took over. We get a little insight as well into some other things around the Colin Baker era. Yeah. Um, and some other bits and pieces. So it's a really interesting interview. It's a really good uh, chat with Andrew. So, um, yes, that's coming up next week. Um, and we hope you enjoy. Indeed. And we're going to wrap there, buddy. I was waiting for the music to kick in. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Get ready to dance. So episode 81 is done. Thank you very much for sticking with us and listening to the show as always. Uh, Mummy on the Orient Express, um, overall a great story. Uh, eight from me, 8.5 from Adam. Yeah, I've always wanted to go on the Orient Express as well. The real one, not the space one. Well, as long as they've got plenty of jiggling and shaking around. Yeah, I'm, so I will insist on it. Disappointed <laughs> by, the, by the, the lack of motion. <laughs> plenty of jiggling. <laughs> going on in that carriage plenty of jigglage mind your business yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right so next week <laughs> next week um, yes we're not going to have the, the usual uh, news merch and review and all that stuff we're going to have a good old chat with the Andrew Cartmel so we hope you enjoy that that's coming out next Friday as usual head over to the uh, website bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk or if the mood takes you bigblueboxpodcast.com whichever you like uh, you can listen to all the previous episodes there and you can also link off to subscribe in iTunes and RSS and you can go to Facebook and Twitter and HipChat and all that stuff uh, sorry not HipChat um, uh, Snapchat sorry you can do all that stuff <laughs> any of the any of the social stuff that takes your fancy uh, we're probably on there somewhere so give us a follow um, remember to check out Adam's channel The Geek's Handbag yeah. um, over on YouTube and Facebook loads of cool stuff over there go and check out Adam's videos it's, uh, it's a huge pile of unboxing and oh, reviews we... and location shoots and all sorts of on the spot stuff which is great wonder where we were going with that phew, phew. <laughs> yeah uh, and that's going to do uh, my name's Gary my name's Adam and until next time remember uh, uh...